Hello, everyone. Uh, this is Greg Wolf, IVM Education Manager here. Thank you so much for coming to another podcast at the venue. Uh, we have a spe- very special guest, uh, Mr. Ian King, Vice President of Sales for MTS Seating, is with us today. Uh, we're going to talk a lot about very interesting topics, in turn, including you know design of chairs, how the old industry is shaped, how the guest experience is shaped by what you sit in. And uh, so, very happy to have Mr. King here. Ian, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Um, so, you know, you all, we were talking about this before the show, you guys are in Temperance, Michigan. That's a very uh, moderate, uh, wonderful wonderful name for a city, I have to say. That is, and it was every bit founded on the, uh, during the time of, of Temperance, so. Yes, of course. Uh, well, I do wonder, though, I mean, I'm sure there's some great bars there now. I, don't, I hope the city fathers <laughs> and mothers aren't, you know, turning in their grave, but. Um, I, I actually don't believe there is one in Temperance, but there are plenty located just outside the city limits. Oh, good. Go, glad to hear. Glad to hear. Now, uh, now, Ian. So we we talked about several topics beforehand. You know, you are one of our ally members. Your company, MTS. Now, um, tell us a bit more. You know, seating. You know, how does uh, you know chairs really strike me as something that, like buildings, form and function are just constantly in in, in interplay. Could you talk a little bit about the design? You know, is that how is that changing now? Are you you know, is it it's 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 Definitely more complicated than I think some people give it credit for, I would think, right? Well, it, it is. And if you, if you had told me 20 years ago that I would be working for a chair manufacturer, I would have found that to be quite odd as I started off in the tech world. Um, mm. But as we got into chair design, and particularly with convention centers, you're dealing with buildings, some of which are, are 20, 30, 40 years old. And the trends that you see changing in architecture and how they build those buildings, the chairs need to coincide with that mm-hmm. um, in terms of storage. You know, people, a chair isn't just a place to sit. If you're looking at convention, the chair, if you think about it, is one of the most important components within the facility. And the reason is it is the physical connection point for the guest. If you're sitting in a meeting and you're in an uncomfortable chair, you're squirming, you're not paying attention. And somebody who spent a million dollars to put a big uh, performance on and they don't have people paying attention, well, they're missing the point. Right. Um, so in terms of where we're going with design, um, we're seeing a lot more uh, competition in the industry from hotels um, as you get into some of the large resorts. But even within um, smaller uh, towns, hotels are competing for smaller meetings. So... Um, a lot of convention centers have um, invested in chairs 20 years ago, and it has become a, a sticking point for some uh, meeting planners that they want to have a, a more comfortable, more up-to-date venue because they've gone to the hotel down the street that has just renovated this beautiful ballroom. So a major trend that we're seeing is that convention centers are starting to um, – focus on chairs that look more like a banquet chair or a ballroom chair as opposed to a traditional convention stacker. However, due to the unique needs of a convention center, um, ballroom chairs aren't always uh, the best. So what we're seeing is we have to blend the two. You have to have the width of your current chairs, um, but the look and, and, and sit of a banquet chair. When we go in to design something, uh, and I guess one of the biggest trends that we've seen is 
facilities that want to custom design a product. So uh, we've done several of these over the, um, the last decade, uh, from Vancouver to Orange County, Nashville. Uh, they all have unique visitors and unique customers. Um, so by working directly with them and their facilities, we're able to build products that meet their needs, not only for their customers, but for their storage needs, whether that's stack density, um, whether it's the number of chairs they need to have in a row. Um, these are all operational considerations that an off-the-shelf off kind of chair manufacturer can't provide. Um, in terms of the chairs themselves, uh, beyond the look, um, they're definitely starting to add in comfort features, such as uh, like a flex back or mm. using web seating that's more um, in line with what you would have in a fully upholstered chair, all of mm. which allows people to sit for an extended period of time. So how do you test that? Do you have people just sit in chairs? I'm serious. Do you have people just sit in chairs? No. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's funny. Um, so we could have a whole other discussion on the ergonomics of a chair, but mm. ultimately there are there are certain ranges that would fit about ninety five percent of the population, and as long as you move within that. Um, however, unofficially within the office, we do have our five foot administrative assistant, as well as a you know six foot two large uh, large guy from the plant all sitting in it. Um, I think the biggest thing that I always encourage people is when you have a when you have a chair, most people sit down in the chair and within 45 seconds they're up and moving. It's not a really good accurate feel for what it's going to be like to sit in an hour or a four hour session. Um, so I always encourage people when they're testing chairs to sit in them for an extended period of time. I know it's something that I do. So are you tempted, you know, do you kind of wish you designed like chairs you could have in your house, you know, that you become an expert and, and you go to a conference center and you, you're really proud that MTS now is all, all these chairs and then you go home and you're like, man, I wish we designed our own chairs for the home. Is that, do you feel like you're spoiled for, I mean, do you feel kind of, what's the word, kind of, I don't want to say picky, but a little bit, you know, you have your own, you're kind of a foodie when it comes to chairs, I guess is what I'm saying. It, it's funny, we, as even within our co uh, company, I didn't believe it at first when I joined, but we are a company of chair flippers. Literally, when you're in a restaurant or you're in a convention center or a hotel, people will flip chairs and they'll look to see who made it after sitting in it. And uh, I even got to one point, uh, not to toot my own horn, but I could identify a chair manufacturer by sitting in their chair. So <laughs> it's wow. a little bit of a... You know, you, you kind of become, I don't want to say I'm obsessed with chairs, but I'm a little obsessed with chairs. Uh, oh, sorry, I need to edit. Well, I'll have to cut this part. Hold on, let me turn my... Yeah, no problem. All right, we'll, we'll pick this up uh, right after that. Um, you said obsessed with chairs, okay. Um, okay, so, okay, so you, you're talking about the design, and, and so let's go a little bit deeper in design, you know... I think we talked about you can actually customize chairs now uh, for the client in terms of like branding and stuff like that. Is that, is um, that, that depth? We did have a customer who um, brought to us an, an idea that they wanted to do something um, with a major automotive brand. Um, so we can do things that, that allow us to, to customize, but more so it's um, walking into an older facility and seeing the, the clearance level they have for storing chairs, right? You know, their ventilation system's coming in low, but they need to have a requirement of 16 high. Well, you have to build the chair in such a way that you can still stack 16 high, but clear 
you know, the, uh, still put that stack and be below the, the, the height restriction. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of like the, the shape and the look and feel, um, we work with facilities, but we also work with, with many of the large design firms. Um, when they're doing the design, they say, this is, this is the voice of this facility. You know, for example, the Nashville Music, you know, the Nashville um, Music City Center, we know there's going to be an underlying musical theme. And the chair they have is the only one like it in the world. It was designed specifically for that facility uh, between the team at the facility and uh, the design firm. Hmm. Wow. And is that, you know, you've, you know, I think you said you'd be in this industry around 15 years. I mean, is that, is that a brand new trend or is that just something that's been always there? We just didn't know. It is definitely, I would say a growing trend. Um, when I've traveled to many facilities, um, you know, due to public funding, a lot of times they have chairs that are 20 years old. And when you invest in a large quantity of chairs and they start breaking, it's much, it seems to be more cost effective to just replace or add to what you have than it is to start over. However, with changes in technology, um, we have gone into some facilities that have been replacing chairs for 30 years. And we've been able to replace all 50,000 of their chairs for less than it cost for them to add 20,000 from the traditional manufacturer they had used. So is that is that back to the materials you use? Is that the, the, the techniques are they used to build um, it? Or I think it's a combination of things. I mean, obviously, a lot changes over a couple decades. Um, the, the particular company I was referring to um, had been, gone through several acquisitions. Um, they're the only ones that were producing the product, so they kind of had a lock on the industry. And mm. um, we all have to find ways to pay for acquisitions, and, and oftentimes that's through price increases. Hmm. Yeah, it, it just, it, it, you know, is the chair industry also affected by, you know, is it a recession-proof industry? Is it one of the things where you always need chairs kind of a thing? Like, you know, alcohol is always recession-proof, it seems, too. Is it the same thing for chairs, or is it really a... Is I would love anything? to think it was recession-proof, right. but it was actually the uh, the convention and facilities industry that, that fared best for us coming out of the Great Recession, mm-hmm. um, whereas you have hotels and restaurants. If they have chairs, somebody can sit on a chair with broken-down foam that, that sits terribly, but they can get by with it. Um, it was um, so definitely we feel the effects of any recession. Right. Well, that makes sense too. I guess cities have more or less money if their own if the building's owned by the city. If the, it depends on the stakeholder, I suppose. Yeah. Um, well, just you know, let's just kind of just talk about just you know you, why what and this time with you for a little bit a second. You, I mean, why do you? I mean, you could be you're 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 as you said you being in being in seating was not what you thought you originally ended up, but now you're glad you're there. What is about this industry in particular that you just find different than say other? sales of other products and other industries. What, what, what about venue industries really, or, or, or hotel? Sure. What is that? How's it different for you? Why do you like that? What, what's, what's enticing for you there? 100% the top reason is the people. Mm. Um, this is a very yeah. relationship-based industry and everybody is friendly. It's a tight-knit, cohesive group. Um, you know, when I came from the tech world, it was, it, it could get pretty cutthroat in the consulting mm. world. Um, and the expectation was, even if I was the first person in the office at, at six in the morning, if I left at five, 
I got stared at. So, um, you know, the, the, the type of people that you deal with and then the customers, it was always, um, more of a, uh, we would have a lot of scope creep and, and Mm. a lot of expectations to do stuff, uh, that we don't have with this industry. Everybody in this industry, because it's such a tight knit and relationship based, everybody's looking for a fair deal. Um, because if you take advantage of one person, word travels quickly. Yeah, no, that, and that's, that's funny you say that. Cause that's, that's a, that's that very sentiment is what I've heard from other ally members on these podcasts is that, um, due to the very nature of venue management, because you are theoretically could be in a building for a decade, or sometimes maybe if a general manager might be there for 20 years, you, you establish relationship. And I also think that'd be kind of hard to break into as well, that it's, you know, I, I, I joke that I, you know, if you know seven people in the ministry, you pretty much know everybody because everyone knows everyone else, you know, and I think that's a great thing. If you're, it seems to me, if you're a sales individual who really is one of those kind of folks that's charismatic and can talk to a bunch of people and show that, um, you know, so much of leadership now, they're talking about um, empathy and uh, emotional intelligence. And it seems to me if you can if you can harness that type of emotional intelligence that when you come to one of our shows or other shows you go to, PCMA or, or you know, you see that individual you've seen and there is a relationship there. It's not just filling out an order and going. Uh, yeah, it, it really is interesting. I can't think of many other industries like that anymore. Can you? Uh, it's funny you mentioned that it would be tough to break into. And I think for, based on my experience, um, I've been in the, in the chair industry for 15 years now, but I've only been going to IAVM events for um, about eight. Um, I joined Eileen. I don't even think I have to add her last name because I think everybody knows who Eileen is. Um, but, you know, her point to me was these are, uh, are, are the best people to deal with, um, you know, I, I joked the first trade show I ever went to, we, I said, they, I went back and reported to the president of our company. He said, well, what was it like? I said, well, I said, we could have our trade show booth and we could have the Hug Eileen booth because everybody is just so friendly and yeah. people would just come in. And you would think when you have those tight relationships that it is tough to break into, but I can tell you, I felt welcome from day one. So um, maybe it might be tough for somebody to break into if they're just walking into a project or a bid situation where, where they haven't spent the time or invested the time to build those relationships, which is not a bad thing. Um, but more importantly, if, if you are somebody who's willing to take the time, everybody will be very friendly and, and you will build some strong relationships. Yeah, it, 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 and that's something too. I mean, let's talk a little bit as well. You know, is there something about your company? You mentioned that intangibleness. Is there something that your company does that's 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 not you know it, it, yes it's a business but is there something else that you you know you obviously have a community there that you, you obviously you're, you've been there for 15 years so I mean is there something there that you really want to tell the industry about of what you know MTS does that's not just about the product you have? Sure, I, you know I think a company is a reflection of its leadership and its founders. Right. MTS was founded in 1955. Uh, in a barn, and we've grown to have three facilities in Temperance with about half a million square feet. So we're heavily invested in this community. Um, when we talk about uh, the fact that we're still family-owned, um, I think that that is a rarity for companies of our size anymore. Um, 
when we look at what that means within the company, we have a very, we're, we're one big family of, you know, 400 some employees. Mm. Recently, we had uh, one of our customer uh, satisfaction coordinators uh, was diagnosed with MS. Oh, and goodness. we actually put a team together within the, the you know, various departments. Uh, and just representing from MTS, we had over 30 people uh, for wow. an MS walk the, this past weekend. Um, in terms of investing in the community, um, as you can imagine, Temperance is, is a small community. Um, but we have our own YMCA. And that was uh, the efforts of three of the families, including one of which was our, our ownership. Hmm. Um, and it, it's fun because... I went. I used to go when my my children were younger. I would leave work and I would drive two miles to the YMCA where I'd meet my wife and our little mm-hmm. kids, and we'd do swim mm-hmm. lessons. So wow. it, it really is. Uh, like I said, it's it's definitely a community based organization. Yeah, that's great. I mean, it's it's good that you're that it can reflect the large industry. That the parts that you like about the industry in general can then be you, you can you you're you can. You can feel more fulfilled. You know, you can feel that there's no, there's no. It, it, it rhymes, as it were. You there's know, a lot the, of consistency. Yeah. Between our company aligning with with the industry. Right. That's got to feel good. That's got to be something that you know. And I would think too that, you know, you you're obviously every company looks for talent, looks for up and coming individuals uh, from other industries, or you know, is there something that, you know. I also noticed about this industry. There's a lot of paying it forward. There's a lot of mentorship. It doesn't have to. It could be a venue or an allied company. I mean, do you is there something too there that you do? You, do you, is there something that you like to do? That's obviously more than your job. But is there something you like mentoring, or is there something you like talking to classes, or is there is there something that you just on a personal level enjoy doing? That's not just the standard, you know, the things that you would associate with being in a business. I love to coach. Okay. So <clears throat> from the time I was. Uh, uh, had started college, I was actually a uh, youth soccer coach, and uh, I, I had the benefit of um, being an assistant coach on a team that took second in the USA Cup. So I was able to get a lot of experience with a very talented head coach uh, that took a team uh, extremely far in, in the country's largest tournament. Um, I also, when I had the opportunity to take on one of my own teams, chose to take on uh, a team I don't want to say it was the bad news bears, uh, but it was a team of, of um, kids that were, didn't make the first two teams. Uh, and I found that to be extremely rewarding. And mm. it was more about, it wasn't, it, it was teaching kids discipline, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. respect, uh, teamwork uh, through the lens of a sport. And I think that's what sports really need to teach, and they need to have they need to have fun doing it. Sometimes I'm worried that they've lost a little bit of that uh, with youth sports today. Um, but I can tell you, when you make a when you make a mark on a 14 year old kid who's getting ready to go to uh, high school, and they see you when they're a senior, and they say, "Yeah, no, I don't play soccer anymore, but I did this because you told me that." This was what was going to happen if I didn't make the team, and I, I didn't, but I went out and I tried something new, and you know what? We went to states. And that's really rewarding. Yeah. Because they say thank you. Yeah. Um, so it's something I carry forward within, within our organization. It's something that I benefit from. Um, the president of our company uh, recently completed his MBA about two years ago, uh, and then they turned around and sponsored me, and I'm, I All recently right. graduated a month ago. Well, oh, congratulations. Beginning of this month. Sorry. Yeah, thank you. 
Um, and it's something that I push down into to our team as well. I'm constantly looking for opportunities to help people grow, whether it's through an educational program or if we're doing a, a sales team building event or if it's just an opportunity um, for somebody uh, within our team. Um, we have uh, Eileen, who is our mainstay within the industry, and I am often at uh, national level events and some regional, but last mm-hmm. year we started including other members of our team. Um, mm. Because we want them to have that exposure, we want them to learn more about that industry. Right. Um, so it's all about um, building that team and recognizing different personalities fit with different people. Um, Absolutely. No. So tell me, I'm just, I'm just curious. Would you have a certain concentration for your MBA? Uh, so I went through an executive program, which okay. is really fascinating. Um, the concept uh, of the executive MBA is it's the same degree as you would get as a full-time or part-time MBA. But rather than picking a concentration, it's really a focus on leadership. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. best example I can, I can make is most of the people in the program are uh, at a higher level within their organizations, and they have management experience already. So when we go to do some financial calculations, which you would expect in an MBA, we learn the calculations, but they're not drilled into us. More so, they focus on you're going to have a 20-something MBA who can do this math for you. You need to be taught how to use this information to make good decisions. And so it really is all about leadership and decision-making and um, basically channeling that, uh, that knowledge uh, to, to better your company. Yeah, I got. I had to ask. This is a kind of philosophical question. You know, I got my MBA uh, two thousand four. Uh, you, know, you know, do you do you feel like MBAs are still? I mean, they. they so many universities started giving them. Started giving that's the wrong word. So many <laughs> started issuing in them. There, I, I, as you said, there are executive MBAs. I understand the purpose of those. I mean, do you feel like just as a, a and I don't mean just been. It, you know, okay. Put it this way: If you had a, a son or daughter who was getting that age when they could get a, a advanced degree, is that something you would advise or your colleagues? I mean, obviously, clearly your 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 colleagues have think it's a good idea. But I mean, can you? You know, is it really necessary now? Not necessary, but is it still a good idea to do it? I mean, obviously, I have the feeling you're going to say yes, but you know, but is it is it does it have to be the circumstances? You know, do you really have to have? You know, you needed it clearly for, you know, is a leadership thing. So you would improve, you know, you clearly had a reason to get it. But if you don't have a distinct reason to get it, is it still worth just getting it just because? So uh, great question, because it's something that I'm asked quite frequently. Um, I think it depends on what are your career goals. Right. You know, obviously, yeah. um, do I think a master's degree? If, if you look back, I, um, I actually started my own company when I was 28 years old. Sold oh, wow. it. Um, or I'm sorry, yeah, and, and I, I eventually sold it. Um, and back then, I didn't feel that I needed an MBA, right? Mm-hmm. Because it, right. It, to build to build a million-dollar business, it's right. actually not that hard. You just have to work at it. Right. Um, knowing what I know now, right. um, it would be a very potent combination. Hmm. Um, so if, if I were to advise somebody... There's the, there's the school of hard knocks, which yes. I've been through, and there's the yes. MBA program, which I've been through. Um, they both cost about the same. Well, and that's a good point, too, and, and maybe talk about this, too. You know, when I got mine, I did it right after. It was a five-year program, essentially, and okay. I'm glad I did that. I, it, I'm glad I did that because you're still in school mode. 
But my dad did his when he when I was in high school, and you know if you have kids and a mortgage and a job, that's a whole another that's a layer. Mm-hmm. Now you're adding to that, you know. But there's also that whole that whole philosophy. You know, you need to be out in the world, experience real life, and come back to the NBA to have a certain perspective. Is it again? Is it as you said? Is it just depending on your circumstances? I, I think it does, and I yeah. think um, I think there's a lot to be said for just executive education in general. Okay. Um, yeah. You know, courses on uh, leadership. Um, you know, I went to the University of Michigan, uh, which is mm-hmm. actually currently ranked number three for the EMBA program, which mm-hmm. is what makes that uh, a powerful is that it attracts a lot of amazing people. You know, mm-hmm. I had I had the director of engineering for elect for vehicle systems for uh, the new electric vehicle systems for Ford. I had the chief of global design for Lincoln. You know, I mean, right. these are people that have done amazing things already. Right. And it really broadens your, your field of view. Right. Um, it introduced me, particularly, I mean, you wouldn't think that chair design and automotive design are, but they are. They are but they totally are. in common. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I was blessed to be able to bounce ideas off of him and, and share different perspectives and different materials. I had a, a gentleman who was part of a racing team um, who brought in, yeah, why are you guys building everything out of steel and aluminum? Why don't you look at this? Or why don't you look at this? And it was really, and there are things that I brought back to our team and said, hey, they do this right. in the racing industry. Can yeah. we leverage this technology to make a lighter chair? Right. So... Yeah, I I found it to be particularly valuable, but I finally hit the point in my career where it made sense for me to do it. Um, so, go ahead. No, yeah, that's no. So, it. go go ahead. No, I was just I was just saying that's it, it made sense for me to do it, and if I most people if they're going to pursue a career in business and particularly if they want to be with a larger company, I do think an MBA is probably a really valuable. Mm. Um, opportunity. But what I would do is I would graduate, get five years experience and work for a big enough company that they will have some sort of tuition reimbursement because Mm. the cost of education has, has gotten extremely high. Well, so, okay, let's go on that. So beyond that point of advice, what else, is there something else you would tell your younger self now having gone through a leadership MBA? Is there something you wish you had known or someone had told you or someone had mentored you in a certain thing that you will now start doing when you mentor up-and-coming young people? Is there something you go, you know what, if I'd known that, is there something like that you've learned? You know, there's, there's, there's a handful of, like, life lessons as you kind of, you know, get into your, yeah. your, your middle years. You start think, looking back and saying, gosh, I have to remember that all these decisions are what have brought me to where I am today. And so would I go back and change them? Uh, probably not. Um, things might have been very different, but, you know, the brain has a way of rationalizing things, and I can't imagine not having my wife and kids and living where I live and in the community that I'm in. Um, but I would definitely say that if you don't have a uh, – the one I have all the time is college. You know, if you don't have a clear focus on what you want to do, don't start investing in a four-year degree. Yeah, um, You need to right. figure it out. Um, one of the challenges I had is I went in – uh, thinking that I wanted to be a physician uh, when I started college. Well, after about two semesters of that, I realized that these are not the classes that interest me. And so then I kind of spent the next two years figuring out what really interests me. And it wasn't until my senior year that I took a few business classes and I was hooked. 
and particularly mm-hmm. on entrepreneurship and marketing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's an expensive way to get there. Um, right. When, if I'm figuring it out, find a, find a, and you really want the college degree, find a two-year program. And maybe college isn't for everybody. I mean, there is right. definitely no shame in, in any of the trades. I'm a oh, big yeah. promoter of the trades. Um, right. I think it's a, a great way to make a living. And, you know, if I had gone that route, I'd probably be an electrician because that's what I enjoy doing. Well, you know, you say that too. I, I just know our economy, there's a whole generation of skilled laborers that's going to retire or, I'd say this, die. <laughs> and, and they're not going to be replaced because there's no one who, because there's a stigma against being in the trades when you can make, you know, I, I was in high school and one of the richest guys in our, in our town, he was a plumber and started a plumbing business, multi-million dollar plumbing company. Yep. You know, in Dallas, I can tell you in Dallas, roofing, if, if it ever hails in Dallas, there's jobs for roofers for 12 months because there's not enough roofers. And I admit it's hard work, but I mean, you can really, it, so it's, it, it seems that there's needs to be some kind of shift. And I don't think this is getting really political either. I think, mm-hmm. I think there's a necessity for skilled labor in this country and there is dignity and there's some of those jobs. I mean, and you can be an entrepreneur. You can make money's not the issue, too. By the way, if you're if it's a thing that people want, a product people want, like air conditioning. I mean, it's hard, but by God, you have a skill set that oh, we're, no matter how many robots we get, you're going to need someone who can do certain things uh, for the foreseeable future. So it's I think you're right. It's definitely on those. It seems like then your so your advice really is then self assessment. That. Self-assessment, and, and it doesn't happen. You know, it, it may right. be a good idea for you to work for a year or two before you go to school. Uh, yeah. Sometimes it's a maturity issue. Sure. Um, you know, I think there's a lot. The, the other major one that I would say is people need to learn to save early. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I watch it happen all the time, and I have what I call Financial Awareness Fridays in our office. Oh, I'll take, <laughs> I take some of the, and it's more just impromptu kind of tidbits, but you know, every, every person who's ever joined my sales team has gotten my speech on, okay, this is your first job, or this is your second job. You know, generally in the entry level positions, they're younger in their, in their early twenties, maybe they just got a school. And I say, you will be tempted to go out and buy a new car. You will be tempted to yeah. find the house or the, what you really need to do is just save, save, save for the next eight years, and you can be done. You know, it, it was a blessing that I received from my best friend's dad. He sat us down. He said, you guys are all coming out. You're making money. He goes, the goal here is to save $100,000 by the time you're 30, which is wow. not necessarily an easy task uh, back, back then, but um, what it did is if money were to double every seven years, you know, you you could save ten thousand a year and have, and by the time you're ready to retire at sixty five, without adding another dime, you have six point four million dollars, something right. like that. Right. So that's the other. Yeah. One. Yeah. No, that's that's very good. Well, I I I'm really glad we got a chance to talk. I think, um, and again, I think this this conversation is, again is a is a good example of the depth that you encounter as an individual in this industry and that, that what you also like seeing and the relationships you've made, you know, that, that you can always, and that's another thing too. It's nice. You can call up someone and go, Hey, what, did, how did this work for you guys? That I think surely that's a good feeling too. Well, one of the things, like I mentioned relationships, um, I was actually, um, university of Michigan, uh, the program has this exec map where we actually for a semester work on a project for another company. And, uh, some of my, um, 
members of my cohort were on a project that actually needed to talk to somebody in convention centers. And I was able to pick up the phone, call one of my friends and say, hey, would you be willing to talk to some students about Mm -hmm. what you face in in the industry with their specific topic? He said, absolutely. And they saw me and they said, he was great. He helped us out so much. And, And there's no financial gain. There's no, there's nothing that comes from that other than people helping people, which I think is something we need a lot more of these days. Right, 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 right. Yeah. And it just, again, I just think that's another reason why it's, it's one reward beyond just money that is a reason to stay in the industry. Absolutely. That, you know, it's not always the money. It really is the, the other things that you don't think about going in that you start going, okay, this is why people stay in this industry for 20, 30, sometimes their entire career. That, that's, that, those kind of discoveries, I think, also are helpful, too, when you're starting at the beginning. So it's really good that you're having those financial Fridays because uh, paying it forward, I, it's just so powerful, especially with schools, too. I'm sure you have – I'm sure the school will call you up in the future. I mean, yes, they'll ask you for donations for the alumni fund, but, you know, it's an opportunity to give back, too – Beyond the money, beyond saying, you know, besides besides adding the, uh, you know, Ian King wing to the MBA right. building, <laughs> you know, you're 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 adding to the kind of the, the brick and mortar of the real the real mortar is the keeping the people together. That is that experience you had in sharing that. I just can't imagine anything that would that, that to me just really is up there with the, with the with the monetary part, too. Well, I, I think as a very young kid, I recognized the power of relationships. Yeah. And, and I credit that to my dad. He was a uh, alum of Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. And we used to go to Notre Dame breakfast as a family. Wow. And, you know, I remember as I got older and, and, and started recognizing several business opportunities came about through his personal network from Notre Dame. Well, that's no different than what this industry is. It's people who are willing to support other people um, for the betterment of, of all. And uh, I really appreciate that about hospitality. I also yeah. said, when you work with people whose role in life is entertaining other people, they throw really mm. great parties. That's true, too. I got to tell you, you know, I, I used to work for uh, a company that did software for emergency physicians. And I always knew if I ever had an accident, it was a perfect location because I was surrounded by 1,100 ER docs. So, uh, you know, in this case, you definitely are with some fun people. They like to... They like to relax in terms of they like to they like to have good conversations even after the work is done. So that I I, I admit that's a very good um, very good aspect of. Well, Ian, it was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for spending time with us. Uh, I should I need to point out, of course, you'll be at Venue Connect. You have Absolutely. a booth there. Uh, we look forward to seeing you there in Chicago. I mean, you know, uh, let's let's end it with this. You know, have you been to Chicago before? Do you obviously you're in Michigan? I would I hate. The, I would think you would be in Chicago at least once in your life. Is there, you know, if uh, is there a place that you go when you go to Chicago that you really enjoy in restaurants or anything like that? Boy, that's 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 a tough question. I actually used to live in Chicago, and okay. I always used to go to a tapas restaurant named uh, Emilio's. However, I think they have since closed. So, Aww. in terms of great recommendations. Uh, on a restaurant, it's pretty tough, but one of my favorite things to do is just to walk along the shore. It's just okay. beautiful, and when we're going to be there, the the waters of Lake Michigan are, are absolutely fantastic. There you go. We're not, being, we're not frozen over with uh, our Antarctic weather, I think I remember saying. this. That was insane. Uh, they had to catch the L, L lines on fire for the one bid, you know? So thank God we're in there in July, huh? 
yeah, it, it should be it should be absolutely wonderful while we're there. Well, good. Well, uh, so Ian, any final thoughts uh, you want to tell the group, to tell the tell the people? Well, uh, I think one. I think if I had advice for the group, it's it's keep being genuine, keep being who you are, because that's what makes this such a tight knit industry and such a great industry to to behave in. Um, from a chair standpoint, I would mm-hmm. say just remember that discomfort is distraction. So. Um, a couple people shared a, a story about a convention, a 20,000-person convention that they took, um, that they were able to obtain because of their new chairs. The wow. facility they had been at had very old chairs, and they brought it up several times, and this, they wowed them with the, with the new chair they put in, and actually it was a 20,000-person one. It was a pretty, pretty impressive story. So. Well, good. Well, I, I look for. I hope people walk up to you and ask you about your MBA and congratulate you when they see you. Yeah, uh, thank you. You know, and, and I, I don't know if you would be wearing a, a Michigan shirt at the time, but I'm, I'm sure you'll be definitely uh, be a, definitely a good person to talk to about going to the school there someday too. Hopefully. Um, well, thank you so much. Yep. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. No, I was going to say any any time. Um, well, I'm always available. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much, Ian. We'll see you soon. Have a wonderful Memorial weekend. Great. Thanks. You too.